Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi everyone, this is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to It's It's the the Mystery Mystery for Me. me. It's Tuesday again, and Norma's hosting again. Mm -hmm. I got caught up doing, like, this pro bono um, assignment for work and stuff, but I love doing pro bono projects just because I think that people, I don't know, the clients I work with are all pro bono clients. They're just so incredibly grateful. You're making a real difference in their lives, And it's not to say, like, I can't make a difference with, like, the corporate stuff, right? But it's just, like, you see the immediate impact, if that makes sense, right? So Mm -hmm. I was working on an expungement case, which means that basically your criminal record would be wiped, depending on the type of felony, okay? Because, like, if it's something involving, like, violence against children, like, that's a no-go, right? But every state has different laws related to expungement. So the state I was working in, they had very, I feel like very like flexible laws, but in doing the actual like expungement part, I had to read up a lot on the law to figure out what was needed. So it wasn't New York? No. Oh, I didn't know. No, it's not New York. So I had to read up on the law, become familiar. Luckily they had like a training. So it was like a little cheat sheet, but you still want to make sure you're doing it right. Um, but I'm happy to like help this person and hopefully all of their things get expunged. Cool. And with that being said, we'll turn to this week's episode. Okay. So for today's episode, I watched a show called Senior Evil. It's season nine, episode eight. I also looked at articles from Investigation Discovery, ABC 11 News, Cinemaholic, and a few others. For a full list of today's sources, go ahead and check out our website, isthemysteryforme.com, or click the link in today's show notes. This story takes us back to 2015 in Durham, North Carolina. This is a case of Tierra Hall. Tierra Hall was born in 1997 in Texas, although I couldn't find an exact date of birth. And she was raised by a single mother, Katea Hall. So in 2015, Tiara would have been 17 years old. Okay. Tiara is described as fun-loving, free-spirited, just a very beautiful person. She's very much of a jokester, so she would just be dancing around for fun and just cracking jokes. Hmm. In 2015, she was a junior at Jordan High School in Durham, North Carolina. And she had dreams of attending North Carolina Central University. Wait a minute. Is it Durham or is it Durham, North Carolina? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Let's look it up because people are going to come for us. Hold on. 
We will all learn together. How about that? Durham. <laughs> Durham. <laughs> According to Google. Okay, Durham. Um, so, Tiara, she hoped to pursue a degree in business. And her mother basically said that she had plans of running a business in the future as to what that business is specifically. Obviously, she's still 17. She's trying to figure that out. So they had moved from Texas to North Carolina three years prior, but Tiara, she got well acquainted with the area and she was able to make a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. And she had a best friend in particular, Amaya, and the two girls, they were thick as thieves and they were basically always together. Friday, March 27th, 2015 was no exception. Tiara and Amaya, they planned to spend spring break together. So the morning of March 27th, 2015 started off pretty normal. Tiara went to school. Before she left to school, she told her mom that she loved her and she walked out the door. She gets to school. It's a relatively normal day. But then night comes and Tiara's mother doesn't hear from her. But she doesn't think anything of it because she already knows of Tiara's plans to spend spring break with her friends. So she just figured she was at one of her friend's house. The next day on March 28th, a 911 call comes in and the caller is walking by a really nice house in this neighborhood. The caller and their girlfriend, they walk to the back of the house, which apparently was recently sold. But then on the show, they said it was abandoned. So I don't know. The back of whose house? Just like a random house? A random house that they saw and they thought it was very nice. And they noticed that there's a female laying on the back porch. The caller believes that the woman was sleeping, but they still felt the need to report it because it was just odd. And so when detectives arrive on the scene, they are able to determine that the female is deceased. They observe that the victim is a young black female between the ages of 14 and 18. She has on gray sweatpants and a t-shirt. I think it was an Elmo t-shirt specifically. They also notice that there's a phone case by her body, but there's no phone. Hmm. Something else that they notice is that right by the victim's body, there was a door leading to the patio. And on that door was burnt an inscription or possibly the name of the person that was responsible for this murder. And it read King K the Savage. And to detectives, it looked like someone used a lighter against the door to write it on the door. People could do graffiti with a lighter? I guess so. I guess so. I don't do graffiti, so. so I don't know. I said it weird, graffiti. I said graffiti. Whatever. I just don't do that, though. Mm-hmm. They do take this into account because they feel that whoever was involved wanted to make their name known they want you to know that they did this they just got to figure out like who it's tied to but not only that the body itself had several stab wounds so there were stab wounds to the victim's neck her chest even her face Um, one of the cuts was so deep that part of the knife that was used um, was broken off in her left cheek So another thing that they found is a piece of paper sticking out of this individual's pocket. So they do notice that it is a hall pass, but there's no name on it. So this female is still unidentified. 
Y'all remember hall passes? Not the kind you give to your significant other. (laughs) The one in high school. I don't think I had that in high school. Did you? I had it in like elementary school. You had to take something to the bathroom, which is kind of nasty. Honestly, like you got to hold something. I I feel like it was like um, almost like a wooden plaque. Yes. It's like some weird. uh, I don't know. Paddle. Cattle. Like <laughs> Catholic school. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I when I was a teacher, I did I have a hall pass? I think for my third graders I did. But for the high school students I taught, I was like, just come the fuck back. Okay, come the fuck right. back. Go to the bathroom and come the fuck back. Or you're getting locked out. And I would actually lock people out, so Damn. Listen, you gotta be a savage in Miami, Liberty City, okay? <laughs> they ain't playing with me out there. We're not playing with me out there, so I can't be out here playing with them. Maybe. That's true. Yeah. Well, the hall pass itself didn't have a name on it, but it did have a signature on it, and it had um, a school name on it. Okay. But we'll get back to that. Um, as far as the scene itself, it was pretty bloody, and mm-hmm. detectives felt that this was very... Whoever did this was senseless, and it was very violent, and... They wanted this person dead. There was blood splatter on the outside window and the door of the porch. It was just a very bloody scene. So the first thing that they do is basically try to trace the hall pass. And the name is Jordan High School. So they go to Jordan High School and they're able to talk to the assistant principal. And he allows them to watch the surveillance tape and there's multiple cameras on the campus what detectives are trying to do is match whatever their victim is wearing to the person in the video let's just see if she actually goes to the school and if we can pinpoint that she was at school on this said day but if you're watching this on camera like i'm just thinking rationally Mm -hmm. aren't there mad people in the hallway Yeah, of course. So, like, think about how long it's going to take for detectives to spot her. Right. They're basically watching hours of footage to see, is someone wearing an Elmo shirt with gray sweats? With their hair tied? If they blink, they might miss something. (laughs) Seriously. They were able to spot her, actually. Okay. When they point her out, the assistant principal is able to identify her as Tiara Hall. So now they have a name for their victim. And so now that they have an identification, they're able to get her mother's number, her home address, and they drive to her mother's house and they break the news to her. Does the mom at this point, has she called the police? At this point, she has not. That she's missing? Because it's still like, the see, okay, mm -hmm. timeline wise, Mm -hmm. can you just kind of like, so this Remind is, me. yeah, this is a Remind very, all of us. So Tiara went to school on the 27th. It was a Friday. Right. The start of spring break. Okay. Her mom did try to call her. I did see, um, I think it was ABC 11 News. I saw a little clip where her mother was saying that they did get into a little bit of an argument that morning. Mm-hmm. So she just figured that Tiara wanted her space. Gotcha. So then these people walking around... They find her the night of May 20th, not May, March 27th. I think it's in the morning that they spot her. Okay. They're out for like 
an early walk. Okay. So either in the morning or early afternoon. Okay. So the mm-hmm. next day. The next day. March 28th on mm-hmm. a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So they go to the mom's house after the detectives get the information. Mm-hmm. It's probably like March 28th afternoon or night. I think it's night because on the show, it looks like the reenactment is at it night. Is at night. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me like her mom wasn't suspicious or like her mom felt did like, try okay, to call wait, her. What's going on? Her mom did try to call her and didn't get an answer. So but is this like out of character? Um, normally she would get in touch with her mom, but they did get into that fight. So, so that I think would make sense. Mm-hmm. So when they break the news to her mother, she's in complete shock. She can't understand who would want to hurt Tiara. She was crying. She was saying that Tiara wouldn't hurt anyone. And she can't believe that someone did this to her. And for the record, Tiara was stabbed at least 14 times. Oof. Yeah. So she tells detectives the last time she saw her daughter, which was the day before March 27th, right before she left for school. And she tells them, you know, that she figured that she just went straight to a friend's house. So detectives show her the phone case and she's able to say like that is Tiara's phone case, but obviously they don't have a phone. She's able to give them her cell phone number as in Tiara's cell phone number. And so they're able to request phone records. When they do request cell phone records, it seems like it comes in really fast. They don't say a date for that, but it looks like Tierra was talking to someone in Texas, which is not so far-fetched because they're from Texas. They moved to North Carolina just three years ago. They are able to rule out that individual because he was not in the area at all. On Sunday, March 29th, detectives decide to canvas the neighborhood where her body was found, and that was actually two miles away from Jordan High School, where she attended. So one neighbor did say that she remembers hearing someone screaming on March 27th, but other than that, she doesn't recall anything else and she never reported it. Detectives continue to canvass the neighborhood and they do talk to someone that said that they saw a suspicious vehicle. Um, It was a black SUV and detectives take that information down but they don't have anything else to go off of so wait a minute what kind of neighborhood is it that she's found in i understand it might be an abandoned house or just sold but like i'm wondering demographic wise because you said that there was a suspicious vehicle and i only hear that used not for nothing in cases with palm colored people where it's like there's a car in the neighborhood that nobody noticed i really don't know um on the show for the reenactment they use black people and white people so i really i don't know what county let me look up jordan high school durham and then i'll use the county well look the high school itself in 2023 was very very um diverse in terms of demographics okay it said that 1800 plus students attended the high school Yeah, this is from 2023. I realize that the case is from a few years ago, but it still will give us some insight. So basically, it says that about 1,800 students attend this high school and that 31% identify as Black, 31% as White, 29% as Hispanic, 5% as two or more races, and 4% as Asian. That's really, really almost split, like, evenly. Yeah. Between, like, 
those three major groups, black, white, Hispanic. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Like, meaning the type of neighborhood that this high school is located in, Mm -hmm. it seems like it's a safe neighborhood is what I'm trying to say. Right? Well, I don't know. I don't don't even know how I can get to... Honestly, I don't don't even know how I can jump to that conclusion. You know what I'm saying? Everybody be acting up. You cannot because that's literally Long Island and... No, you're right. You're right. um, It's crazy in Long Island. As I said that, I was like, well, I don't know these people. So... (laughs) (laughs) But what we can gather is that it is a diverse community. A diverse community. Yeah. Okay. So detectives happened to stumble across one neighbor who happened to have cameras on the outside of their house. So they ask if they can review the footage. And so they're allowed to. And what they discover is a timestamp of what looks to be Tierra following a male. Following a male? Mm-hmm. At around 12.42 p.m. But detectives don't know who this second person is. Why is she following a male? That is to be determined. Yeah, but, I'm just like, um, you know how I'm so used to it's like the man is following the woman, right? So it's like, huh? Yeah, she's following him and she's a few feet away from him too. Interesting. Like, they're not walking together. And the timestamp is also interesting. Mm-hmm. But like when they looked at the footage at school or when they talked to the principal, did they say that she left early? So I don't even or think that they principal? I don't even think that they had that conversation. Um, I think they were just trying to figure out who's this person, let's yeah. ID her. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were jumping into like let's timeline. find out what happened in timeline. But now they are. I mean, I would have asked if I was the one at the school, like, mm-hmm. did they leave school? Well, the early? assistant principal was the one that signed the pass. So he confirmed, like, yes, I did sign it. Um, but he was not able to, like, pinpoint if she came back to school or, or any of that. But, like, the hall pass is for the hall. Right, which I think was a huge oversight on the school. What do you mean? Because it was a hall pass and she was not accounted for. Right. At all. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I okay. mean. Like, gave her a hall pass and... That Clearly, she didn't come back to class. So I'm just trying to figure out, like... Yeah, what systems do they have in place? I mean, with 1,800 students, maybe it's, like, a little tricky. But well, I, at the same time, shouldn't you account for every student? Or, mm-hmm. I don't know. When I was a teacher, I had to take attendance every single class period. Right. Yeah. And if someone walked in late, then I took the time to, like, correct that. But... That was the system. And this is Miami, Liberty City. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they had a system. So. I, I don't know if they had a system in place or is, if it's because it's about to be spring break and they're just. I think I don't just, know. I, I really think it was know. an oversight. Mm-hmm. But now that they see this meal in the video, I think this is what tells them, you know, let's go back and really review the footage. Because, again, hours of footage, right? But now they have a timestamp. So they see her at 1242 with this individual in the video. Remember, it's like a two mile walk from the high school. So it's probably going to be around like 1230 ish that they're going to be looking at this video. 
So at around 1221, they do notice that Tira is having a conversation with a male in the hallway. And it seems very playful. Um, they notice that the male has on a red shirt and dreads and kind of looks like the person that they saw in the surveillance video from this person's house. Um, but in the school's video, they notice that this male snatches what looks like her phone out of her hand. Oh, hell no. So Tiara is now chasing him down the hallway and the chase lasts for like a good four minutes. And then at around 1225, they're seen exiting the school. So she's still like chasing after him. She's trying to get her phone back. Okay, yeah, that takes playful to, like, a ne- another level. If I'm chasing you out of the school, I'm, I'm going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. Like, well, what? then they're seen passing that house, right, at around 12.42 p.m. So she was chasing him for, like, almost 15 minutes. Wait a minute. So the house with the cameras mm-hmm. is across the street from the house that she was found at? No, it's on the same block, though. It's not in... The camera's visuals mm-hmm. where the house is, but it's like you have to pass this house to. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes, gotcha. same block. So at around twelve fifty p.m., the male was seen on camera walking by himself. Tira is no longer following him, and this is the camera footage from the neighbor's house. Wait, what time? At around twelve fifty p.m. Oh, so that was really fast. Yeah, seeing her like walking by yeah. the house, like literally like eight minutes. Right. Did the lady who heard the screams say what time she heard it at? I don't believe that they said it on the show. Well, damn, I didn't see it anywhere else. But I'm sure it was. How around am I supposed this to t- solve the puzzle without the clues? I'm pretty sure it was like around this time that she heard the scream. Okay. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to have a definitive answer, but you already know. The shows, like, overlook certain things. Mm-hmm. And articles, you already know how that goes. Sometimes they have misinformation. Yeah. Or no information. Yeah, or that too. can be frustrating. So at around 12.55, this individual is seen entering the school. And he goes straight into the bathroom. And what detectives notice is that he's wearing a long sleeve, like I was saying earlier. His sleeve was covering his hands, though. Like, it was completely over his hands. That's weird. So they thought that that was weird. And he just walked straight into the bathroom. Like, he went through the door. He came into school. And he walked straight into the bathroom. And then, like, a few minutes later, he's seen leaving the bathroom. But, like, his hands are completely exposed now on camera. So they feel like he went into the bathroom. He was probably washing his hands to get rid of evidence. And just went about his day. So now that detectives are able to see both videos side by side, they take this information to the assistant principal and he's able to identify the man in the videos as Kelton Fox. He actually spoke to the assistant principal and asked him like, Hey, well, told him, I'm not feeling well. Um, I think I'm going to leave early and call my mom. Okay. So he ends up leaving school earlier that day. Um, I think he left at around like 1.30 p.m. Because it was pretty soon after. It was like 30 minutes after he was seen on camera. So, Kelton Fox is a 17-year-old student that also attends Jordan High School. 
And not only that, he happens to be Tierra's ex-boyfriend. Tierra apparently broke up with him in December of 2014. And she told her mom that it wasn't anything abusive or anything domestic going on. It was just that she felt that he was too clingy. Okay. So she broke up with him. Stage five clinger vibes? Yeah. Hmm. But at this point, detectives have enough to get an arrest warrant. So they go to Kelton Fox's house where he lives with his mother. And they arrest him on March 31st, 2015. So as they're arresting him, um, they ask him, do you know why you're being arrested? And he says, it's because my friend is gone and you guys need to find out who did it. He didn't have a lawyer present? Not at this point, no. Was he read his Miranda rights? Probably. I, I mean, I'm assuming, yes. But... Because <sighs> if, this... if he wasn't read his Miranda rights, could they keep that or use that in court? No. Why? What do you mean, why? Because he was not read his Miranda rights. Right, but it I'm just... It would be a violation. <laughs> right, it would be a violation. Meaning, like... But why would it be a violation of Miranda? Because your or Miranda why was, rights why have was to be owed? read if you're in yeah. custody and you're like trying to incite a criminal statement. Exactly, it's the part that custody he is interrogation. Exactly, custodial interrogation. Yeah. Remember, we broke this down in one episode. <laughs> like, you need two things. Yep. In order for like the Miranda rights to attach, meaning mm-hmm. like you need to be read it. You got to be in custody. I'm assuming that they read it, but if they didn't, like... Right, but, like, technically, that's why I was was just, like, hypothetically thinking. Technically, Mm -hmm. he would be in custody there in his home, Mm -hmm. right? He probably doesn't feel like he can leave. They're arresting him. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm sure they did read his Miranda rights. Yeah. I think. I think. (laughs) But he apparently said this very casually and no signs of remorse or any signs of feelings and his mother is right there and she's very like distraught and they actually play the the actual audio of his arrest yes on the episode do tell and you can hear his mom in the background and she's just like oh my gosh like jesus christ like ooh, mm-hmm. she's hysterical and they actually take her to the police station too because they want to interview her She's not arrested, though. But also, I mean, he's 17, so... Right. Which I'm going to get to. Okay. They go together. So they are interviewing her separately, but then they interview them both together because he's a minor. So they're just asking her, like, does Kelton have any weapons? You know, does he have a gun? And she's like, no, he doesn't have any guns, but, you know, he likes pocket knives. Like, that's his thing, and he always carries one with him. Excuse me? Mm-hmm. Why? Why do you need a pocket knife? I don't know. Remember Dad used to have a pocket knife back in the day? This was when he like, was in high yeah. school, though, and the times were very different. Like, segregation was... Like, they were desegregating schools mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, but the neighborhood our dad lived in in New York was very... Um, white. So he said he would walk to school and he'd be taunted. And so he 
started carrying. Yeah, it makes me wonder if he felt taunted too, or he was doing it for like safety reasons. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Detectives interview him and his mother is in the room too. And he denies leaving school on on Friday, March 27th. Detectives are like, okay, like if you say so, are you sure? Like you don't want to change your answer basically? And he's like, I did not leave school. Oh no. Until like my mom picked me up. So when they leave the room, he tells his mom like anything I tell them, they're basically going to believe is a lie. Like they're not going to believe me like regardless. And his mom is like, it doesn't matter what they think, okay? Right. It doesn't matter. Like, this is basically your life, and your life is on the line, and guess what? You can't come home with me tonight. You can't, because you're charged. Like, it is what it is. Oof. I know and his she mom was very, pissed. she's very emotional. Right. Just sad. Um, so detectives also have a warrant to search the house, and Are they, they executing it? As they're in the um, being yeah. interviewed, yes. So they specifically search his room, and in Kelton's room, they find axes and knives. It seems like he was collecting them, like into like collecting knives. What they also notice are red spots on his shoes that they believe to be blood. So they take that in for evidence. They also found bloody clothes in the trash can in his room, and. Surprisingly, they found paper that had the words King K the Savage, like the graffiti that they found outside the porch door. I'd like to solve the puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? All the things, like if this was like a Blue's Clues episode, it's just like, I already know. Yeah. Meaning he thinks that he is so smart. Like they're not going to check the footage. Like they're not going to, like... You threw out your clothes in the trash. Your sneakers are dirty. And you wrote a name on a door that you go by. Now, here's the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Is he being set up? That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that possibly ran through detectives' minds. But they also found a notebook that he basically kept. I would say almost like a journal. Okay. And in that, he wrote things like he was afraid that Tierra was cheating on him and just other things that showed that he was very angry. He had a lot of anger towards her. He thinks she was cheating on him? Like, when were these entries dated they for? They didn't say. But hmm. he sounded extremely obsessed, and detectives said it was beyond a normal obsession. Did they show some of the entries? They did. Um, I think... Most of what they showed, though, was not in relation to her. It just showed his anger. Like, he he has a thrill for killing. Just things that along those he lines. He said that? Yes. So has he killed, like, an animal or something? I don't know. It's possible. Mm-hmm. I start with animals first because in my mind when I'm asking these questions, because mm-hmm. when I watch all these, like, documentaries and stuff, that seems to be, like, the starting event. Right. It's possible. Into turning someone into a killer. It's like they killed an animal. Then they killed somebody, like, who's super vulnerable. Then they, you know, so his mom didn't, like, say, listen, he hurt our family dog. Or he has 
a tendency to do X, Y, and Z? Um, it's possible that she said it, but it wasn't mentioned on the show, and I couldn't find anything else on his mom other than what I saw on the show. Hmm. And the reason why I say it's possible, we'll get into that in a second, um, because obviously he's charged with first-degree murder. It doesn't go to trial. He actually pleads out three years later. So on June 14th, 2018, Kelton Fox, he pled guilty to second-degree murder. And a lot of things factored into that. It was his age and other factors because he had PTSD. He had borderline personality disorder, hallucinations, and paranoia. Okay. So... It's possible, right? Because I'm sure he lives with his mom. She must know that there's some sort of, there's stuff going on with her son. Right. So although this whole murder situation is shocking, she knows her son. So you're saying like she knew he was capable of something like this? I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like underlying things him being having borderline personality disorder i'm sure that she would have seen certain things certain behaviors not right. about the murder i'm right. just saying okay mm-hmm. hmm and how long did he get justice is served sort of but not really because he only got 12 to 15 years in prison that's it yeah wait a minute 12 to 15 years yep wow 12 to 15 is that what you said, 12 mm-hmm. to 15? That means, yeah, like, the max he could serve is 15. Mm-hmm. So he gets to get out. Let's say he served the 15, and I, I know you said he was sentenced, like, three years later. So let's mm-hmm. say at this point he's 20 when he's sentenced. He um, serves at 15. He's 35. Yeah. That means he gets to live a full life? Yeah. That's insane. That was the most shocking part of this case i was not expecting that and i don't think detectives were either because they really felt that him taking her phone and luring her out of school in the way that he did like it's one thing to like haha i'm running around with your phone inside of school but the fact that he did that at that point and became premeditated in their eyes right but it just wasn't enough for the prosecution Okay. Did he ever confess, though? I don't think he ever confessed. Huh. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm really shocked. Did his mom hire a lawyer? Or was it like a public defender? Because this is like a really good deal. I'm pretty sure he had a public defender by the name of Lawrence Campbell. And is he serving it in a prison or is Mm -hmm. he serving it in a psych ward? Okay. Hmm. He's at, um... Oh, okay. It's in Dallas, North Carolina. Gaston Correctional Institution in Dallas, North Carolina. That's where he's currently incarcerated. You know what? I think part of it is that the Supreme Court ruling in the Miller versus Alabama case had come out in 2012. So maybe Mm -hmm. prosecutors were being a little bit more careful with how they sentenced people who were 17 years and younger who had committed these heinous crimes, right? Mm -hmm. Because so many of them so many of those sentences were being overturned or had to be looked at again, right? Mm-hmm. To consider, you know, other factors about this person's life and well-being and stuff like that. So it sounds to me yeah. like they really focused on the fact that 
there was a lot of underlying psych issues yeah. present. Mm-hmm. And so I guess they mitigated the charge. Yeah. How did her family feel hearing this? I mean, her mom was devastated that it was even Kelton that did this. She was so shocked because to her, it seemed like things were ended on like a good note. Right. Like there wasn't any issues there that she knew of, at least that. So, yeah. So Tiara didn't tell Tierra her. Tiara didn't tell no. her. She said, Mom, there's no, we don't have an issue. There's no abuse there. We, you know? And is that true? Did the detective say that like there had been issues in the past or domestic violence? Because to me, it seems like, I mean, he hopped from just like, nothing if there were really mm-hmm. no issues to like mm-hmm. the extreme mm-hmm. which is not impossible but it's like usually it's like it rises a little bit more i mean it's, time. it's possible i didn't see anything that mentioned that Ugh. i just think like the saddest part of the case for me is that he's gonna get out early and tiara is not able to live her life right and live yeah. out her dreams the other side of it um it also brings awareness to psychological issues. And I'm wondering if his mom did notice this, these things in him, did she take any steps to help that situation? Because mm-hmm. not for nothing, there's not every black parent in America or in the Caribbean and stuff like that. But I feel like black people have this hard time acknowledging, you know, psychological issues generally right Mm -hmm. or the idea of seeking therapy like you're seen as weak or something or you're told to go to church or like just get up and stop being lazy and just like you just got to do it so you're told all these things right but then the other side of it is like if you're really sick you're really sick and you need help yeah and so i'm just wondering because you said earlier you know she probably picked up on some things like if there were any if she had taken any steps in that regard i don't know but i was also thinking the fact that he had all these knives in his room right seems so maybe she didn't pick up on these underlying issues a personality disorder the ptsd um there was domestic violence in the in the home when he was growing up that he saw so there was just like a lot there but i think if she was really that concerned like or she really knew something was going on, I don't think she would allow him to have a knife and axe collection in his right. room. Right. And listen, so. sometimes parents genuinely don't know. So I'm not mm-hmm. like trying to blame her or anything like yeah. that. I'm just like curious about, um, I guess, how much she did know and if she took any steps to help the situation. You know, at the same time, mm-hmm. he's 17 at this point, um, and people hide their mental health illness mm-hmm. all the time, but not for nothing. And y'all could tell me in the comments what you think about this. If my kid was collecting knives, I'd be a little concerned. Yeah. I don't give a damn if they're into like samurai sword fighting or something. If you're collecting knives, swords, any of that, I would be very, very concerned. Yeah. I just don't see that as like, it just doesn't make sense to me that this is like an actual hobby that's mm-hmm. so common and like it's fine it's fine no i agree right yeah i don't know it's like what what else would we put in that category if someone collected something that it would be weird i don't know if you collected hair from every person you dated 
know i mean well now we're getting into like dark you know magic brujeria but Um, But i'm saying like i think this is kind of strange mm -hmm. i would also think it's strange if my kid collected forks like what's the point in that right like but knives i just think that would have made like a red flag go off in my mind i i mean i do too but like even in the footage that they showed on the show of her being interviewed um, about his knife collection, she didn't seem, not that she didn't seem concerned, but she's just like, oh yeah, like he has knives and like he carries a pocket knife, like as if it was normal, like it was okay. Hmm, I don't know. Um, It's not, it's not giving that. (laughs) It's not. Um, But I'm just kind of also worried about the fact that he's going to be re-entering society one day Mm -hmm. and the way prisons are set up right now, it's not necessarily the greatest place for rehabilitation, right? Yeah. And for actually, mm-hmm. you know, making you a better human. It's kind of like if people leave there as a better person, it's because of the work they put in. Right. Or you're lucky enough to be at a certain prison where maybe the programs are a lot more liberal and forward thinking and mm-hmm. you have opportunities to actually turn your life around. I just think that I'd be kind of concerned with him re-entering society. I am too. That was the one thing I was thinking of when I saw that. So, and another thing I want to add is I was wondering if the mom, if Tiara's mother sued the school. Mm. Um, Because to me, that was a really great negligence case. Yes. Um, I couldn't find anything on it, but you never know there may have been some sort of settlement there because Tiara was in their care. Right. They have a care to her, like a standard of care to like make sure that she's okay. Right. In the school. Yep. And especially you're giving her a hall pass. Like you should make sure that she's returning to class. Not for nothing. The hall pass didn't even have her name on it, which I'm just like, fill it out. Right. Like fill out the entire thing. Uh, Did her mom ever get her phone back? I don't think so. I don't think they ever found the phone. Oof. Maybe he dumped it on that five-minute walk back to school because he walked really fast. They saw him on camera twelve fifty-five mm-hmm. at school yeah. and passed the been, house at twelve like, fifty. Yeah, he must have been running. I'm just kind of I I don't know. My thing. Okay, I have one last thought mm-hmm. about this. Prosecutors, they like slam dunk cases, right? It helps mm-hmm. with their rep. You know, if you you are known for being able to successfully put every single person away, great. I just think that this seemed more like a slam dunk case than a lot of the cases we've seen. Yeah. Right? Like, everything was there. So that is also why, to me, it's kind of confusing that they went down to second degree murder mm-hmm. and actually had him plead out because some prosecutors would have been like, we're going to take it to trial. Right. And a jury's going to find you guilty. So there has to be something more there where they didn't feel confident with going to trials, what you mean? Or they there was some sort of like politically motivated reason for mm. not bringing it to trial. Maybe it was an election year. You know, these prosecutors, the ones that are like the DAs, mm-hmm. they have to be elected, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's an election year. You might think twice about putting someone with psych issues in prison for murder Mm. for life. 
Right. Okay. So it's just to me, I we hear about, you know, mitigating charges a lot, but this was shocking because of all the compelling evidence that was literally right there. Mm-hmm. It didn't even take months to solve. It's like they walked oh, in his room, boom, everything was there. And the DNA, I'm sure, came back. The shoes came back yeah. and it matched her. Yeah. It was her blood. And did you say, like, how she died? The autopsy? like The autopsy basically showed she was stabbed 14 times right? at least. And, I mean, that's how she died. The in the chest. Yeah, from the stab wounds. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. well, this is a case I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on. I mean, I do that for, like, all our cases. I put on Google Alerts and stuff, but... So if you're in Durham, North Carolina, ten cuidado. Be careful. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just be careful because, as you can see, people are pretty much getting away with murder and being let out again. So just, you know, this case is very, like, shocking in so many ways. Mm-hmm. When um, the last thing that her mother said on the episode was that she prefers to remember Tira as a bubbly child because that's who she knows her daughter to be, just bubbly and just lighthearted, sweet person. And that's who she'll always be to her. And then Amaya, her best friend, said that she continues to celebrate her life by celebrating her birthday every single year. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That must be heavy. Especially, like, going through this as, like, a teenager. Yeah. It's shocking. It's very shocking. And what I want other teenagers to know who are, like, in love with people, right, and you're in high school or even college, like, just know that, like, it's not worth it to go to this extreme. Mm Mm-hmm. You can just talk it out. You can use your words. You could talk to people around you and just be honest about how you're feeling. If you feel like, you know, you're sad that you're not with this person, then talk to somebody about it. But taking it to this level, it's just not worth it. I think a lot of like high schoolers and like, you know, when it's your first love, generally, you have this like mentality that, hey, it's me and you till the end and I don't know, just this like very, very ride or die mentality. And honestly, there's a lot of like mental health stuff involved in that kind of like connection mm-hmm. attachment, right? Because it's like you need to feel like you're almost under this person's skin, like you're with them all the time. Yeah. You don't know who you, you are without them. Yeah. You know, you have to understand that like life goes on. Just don't lose yourself in, in this relationship in any relationship don't do it yeah you know it's like just acting on that led to so much tragedy all around mm-hmm. right tiara dying at such a young age and then this dude just going to like what prison yeah at a young age too, right? Because yeah. he's like, I mean, at this point, yeah, he was twenty when he, yeah, he went. Was 20. But I'm guessing that he wasn't let out on bail. I don't think he was. I think he probably was incarcerated yeah. the entire time. I believe so. But that's also a shock to the system. When you're a teenager and you go into prison, it's like that's who they go for. They go for the people who are very like young mm-hmm. and they look like like you look like they could overpower you type of thing. 
It's a lose-lose. It's a lose-lose. Mm-hmm. Very scary. Well, I hope in prison, you know, he puts in the work and that he never does this again. But at your high you know. school, this is really random. At your high school, was there ever talks about like domestic violence in high school relationships or did you know anybody? You mean any talks by like that the school yeah, like, that the school had programs? or like that you knew about? Um, I think that there was a program that I was part of at least that I can remember and it had to do with like drugs and alcohol and abuse it was kind of all combined yeah um you're asking the wrong person because well, I have horrible memories well I they had it in my <laughs> school but I remember my thoughts being this well why are they presenting it to us it's like who would ever be in that type of situation mm. that was my thinking at like 15 because I was just right. like whoa like why are you giving us this intense presentation on domestic violence? Like, what? This wouldn't happen to us. We're we're teenagers. Right. But that presentation's needed. Well, I'm sure that they if they didn't have these types of presentations before at Jordan High School. They definitely Carolina, don't have them now. Yeah. And they having somebody fill out the hall pass very carefully. Oh yeah. And there's that. That mm-hmm. concludes this week's episode. Tune in next week for another episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Stay safe out there, guys.